Welcome to the Gospel Gazing Podcast. My name is Wilson Van Hooser. I am hunkered down in my office, and it is not quite yet organized. There are books, cups everywhere because uh, it's Monday, and yesterday was Sunday, and there's all my coffee drinks and all that. So now I'm just letting you know what it's like. But in fun news, we got Wright Bushing here, uh, teaching elder over in uh, the Tampa, Florida area. And where specifically is it? Is it Tampa proper? It's Tampa. We're meeting at a place. It's a little community called Temple Terrace, which is surrounded by Tampa on all four sides, but still has its own mayor. But it's technically still Tampa. Yeah, he he's down there. Some some of you have heard me uh, talk about uh, for for better or for worse. Uh, but we've talked about Aldo Mondon. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. That's kind of a that might paint us in bad light there. Uh, but no, we're excited to have Wright on the podcast and. Uh, we're gonna be talking a lot about uh, gospel ministry, a little about a little bit about church planting, but a lot about sports and uh, youth sports, just athletes today, and then also coaches. So this is gonna be a fun conversation. But right, tell us a little bit more who you are. Tell us about your marriage, family, and uh, where the Lord's got you in ministry right now. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Wilson. So I uh, was born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, did not grow up in the church, but came to faith through RUF at Ole Miss in the fall of 2004. Uh, after college, I started coaching uh, and moved back to Jackson in 2008. Uh, met my wife through RUF. She was an RUF intern. Her name is Elizabeth. Uh, she's from Dallas, uh, graduated high school and was going to PCPC. Oh, uh, yeah, when, yeah. Uh, when she was in high school. But we have been married for almost 14 years now. I uh, have two daughters. Uh, Caroline just turned 10 yesterday. Man, yeah. Marion will be seven in a couple weeks. So um, family is doing well. Uh, we have been in Tampa now for about 18 months, uh, which has been a hard move because we are scratch planting, which means we don't have a mother church. Yeah. So when we came here, we knew Aldo and Abby and uh, no one else. Yeah. And so we came here to try to grow a church that way. So that's hard when you come from a, well, we were at a 1200 member church before that. Yeah. 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 Great church back in the uh, uh, Jackson, uh, Mississippi area. So, um, and you and I overlapped in seminary for, uh, gosh, two years, three years. Um, yeah. Not many, not really any classes though, uh, because no, we were both working full time. in the reverse order. It was kind of yeah. weird. Uh, yeah. So, but then you did youth ministry there. And how long were you doing youth ministry at Redeemer? So I did youth ministry for five years, uh, five years. And then I graduated in May of 2022 and we moved in August of 2022. Yeah. Okay. Well, how did you get into church planting? I mean, what what was the route that uh, brought y'all there? And then even specifically to Tampa? So we had some friends and mentors who had told us as we were trying to discern God's God's call for us, um, kind of felt like we were we were ready to do something other than youth ministry. And uh, mentor and his wife both said, hey, y'all need to look into church planning. They, they've done a lot of missions work or connected with a lot of church planners and basically just said, hey, will you talk to a couple of the people that we know in the church planning world in the PCA? And so I started having conversations and I'm a researcher. I, I, I research too much. I evaluate things too heavily and I think too long about decisions. So I started talking to network directors and MA chairmen kind of all over the country. And, and the thing that I found out very quickly is that almost every network, every presbytery, every MA committee 
has many more places that they want to plant than they have planters. Mm, um, really? I was yeah. consistently running into situations where a, a presbytery had identified five or six locations where they really wanted a plant. And in some cases had zero planters, uh, in some cases yeah. had one planter. Um, M&A has continued to not have enough candidates coming to assessments for church planting. And so really, uh, we were drawn initially by the need uh, yeah. that there is, 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 is kind of a dearth of men who are interested in getting into church planting. And so started evaluating that more. Uh, the last two classes I took at, at RTS Jackson were directed studies with Dr. Yeah. Winger um, yeah. on church planting. So I ended up reading about 20 books uh, on church planting and just really got a heart for that and was excited for uh, for what the Lord might do uh, in a yeah. church plant and ended up being drawn here. Uh, one of the reasons is because of what Aldo was doing in RUF at USF. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, RUF at USF has traditionally been pretty small. When Aldo got here three years ago, it was about 15 students. He grew it pretty quickly, and now they're averaging yeah. about 75 a week. Um, yeah, it's an but amazing, there was not a yeah. It, it's really been an amazing growth. Um, but there was not a PCA church within about thirty minutes of campus, and so That's he right. was doing great ministry, yeah. but was not able to connect people to the local church because the church he yeah. and his family were going to is about forty five minutes away, uh, and it's hard enough to get students to come to church in general. Yeah, you know, you drive forty five minutes. No, uh, uh-uh. uh, yeah. So we really had a heart for college ministry, especially given that I came to faith through RUF. My wife was an intern. Yeah, and I felt like this might be a really way to serve the church and to serve RUF as well by planting some roots here and providing a place that's going to care for college students, that's going to yeah. incorporate them into the life of the local church. And it's going to do it in a little bit different way. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to Miss and my church there kind of knew that they had students for four years and then they were gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tampa continues to have more and more people moving here. And a lot of the students that are involved in our church right now are planning on staying in Tampa post-graduation. Um, yeah. Think That's, that we can kind of organically grow the church as students grow up and get married yeah, and start having yeah. kids. Yeah. Um, might be yeah, neat. That's to different. That's different than Stillwater because we're very much more like Oxford, Mississippi, where, yeah, we'll have them. And, and now it's, it's even weird. And, uh, as a matter of fact, I've, I've talked with Aldo about this, but we've noticed that students are coming in with more credits. And so yeah. they're also, they're graduating early and they're, so it, it's almost turned into where we're like, Hey, we think we got them for about three years by the time yeah. they actually get in RUF. So, but it's weird, but I, I think that's awesome that, that y'all are in Tampa and, uh, man, all the people who are there and. Uh, and I think that could be really key just to keep building, uh, with what you have. So, um, but, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, so one, one of the, uh, things that, uh, obviously I, I got to know you when you were actually post, uh, coaching at Jackson state, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, but you came into, isn't this right? You came into the youth ministry world straight from coaching. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. I, I was not for, directly from Jackson State. I went from Jackson State to a high school and then came directly oh, yeah. from from coaching and being an yeah, associate right. director at the high school. And that was JA, right? Jackson Academy. Yeah, yeah that's right. OK, that's right. So, yeah, tell tell us a little bit more like about your sports uh, background and uh, kind of what, you know, what the how the Lord used you. And uh, and then we'll kind of get into the more particulars there. Yeah, so I, I grew up, you know, in a place like Mississippi, uh, 
uh, for a kid my age growing up in the late 80s and the 90s, uh, sports was everything. We played yeah. everything year round. Um, played Ended up by high school. I played basketball and baseball. Uh, I was kind of a level athlete where I had Division three and NAIA schools recruiting yeah. me. And so my, my choice was between going to one of those schools or just going yeah. to the big state school in Ole Miss and ended up doing that. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. I don't think yeah. I would have come to faith had I not done that. Um, yeah, I yeah. I've been playing. I don't think I would have been in a position to to see my sin or hear the gospel. So mm-hmm. I'm thankful for that. But post-college, um, knew I wanted to coach and kind of did a broad search and ended up having a, a guy I graduated high school with whose dad had played at Jackson State and yeah. then played NBA for a while. Uh, he ended up calling and saying, hey, Jackson State needs a graduate assistant. I can get you an interview. Yeah. And so I went there and interviewed and they offered me the job the next day and um, ended up accepting that and was there as a yeah. graduate assistant. And then our uh, one of our assistants left after that first year. So then they bumped me up to a full time role. Yeah. Was there for three years uh, and then dropped down to the high school level as we got to the point where we were ready to start having kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Went to coach it, coached at that large independent high school and was also yep. in athletic administration. So it was an associate athletic director. Yeah. Um, and kind of got to see the administrative side of things as well. And then moved yeah. from that directly into ministry. Yeah. Now for some people who aren't as familiar with the college coaching uh, world, explain what a graduate assistant is. So graduate assistant is um, someone who is paid a very small amount. Yeah. Uh, typically, <laughs> you are in grad school. So that first year, I made $4,600 yeah. <laughs> for that that entire year. Uh, I actually did not. I got hired so late in the process that I didn't get into grad school. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And so I didn't didn't start grad school. And then by the time I was bumped up to a full time assistant, I, yeah. I didn't. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't end up getting a graduate degree until I was uh, working at the high school. I ended up getting a master's in sports management while I was there. Yeah. Um, OK. But a graduate assistant does a little bit of everything. Some places, your bigger schools, you know, Oklahoma State. They're probably doing more managerial type duties. Yeah, yeah. The nice thing about being somewhere like Jackson State uh, in in Division One basketball, you're allowed to have four on floor on the floor coaches, including your head coach. Yeah. Okay. Our our university only had two assistants, so a head coach and two assistants. So I actually got to be in an on floor role as a graduate assistant, and so yeah. essentially to do a little bit of everything uh, in a way that had I been in a really large university, I would have been doing a lot more of the kind of managerial work, washing clothes. Now I still had to do yeah. some of that stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the balls out. And, yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but kind of got to do a little bit of everything that first. Yeah. Year. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, one of the things, uh, spe- speaking of uh, graduate assistants I've had, and I'm, I'm sure you've had to, uh, you know, friends of ours who have been in the coaching circles, whether for football or basketball, and uh, you know, they they started at the grad assistant level, and they've kind of maybe stayed in college or or went elsewhere. Or I, we've even have some guys who've entered into uh, they've become NFL scouts, uh, but they've kind of they've been around a while and they've been seeing a lot of different things for the past several years. Uh, this would have been about. Two years ago, I was talking with a football coach up here at Oklahoma State, and uh, he was a little bit younger than me. And so we were catching up and talking about, oh, you know, I knew this guy. And, you know, one of his teammates was from Montgomery, Alabama. And so, you know, we're making all those connections. And then I finally just said, hey, 
honestly, what is it like to coach guys today? And he said, man, it's totally different than when we were playing. Now, some people might be listening to this and they might do the whole uh, like, okay, boomer, uh, you know, or whatever they want to say. But I, I think as you and I were talking beforehand, the sports culture has changed since we were playing. And particularly youth sports have changed. What what do you see in the youth sports world today and how that has changed over the past, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years? I think the biggest thing I've seen is how much of a big business it's become. Um, yeah. that it, is, it generates a lot of money. Um, and, and, and not that there hasn't always been some money in youth sports, but it has driven um, so many people to get into skill work yeah. and yeah. building facilities that are trying to train people to be division one athletes. You know, when I when I was when I was 12 years old, um, our rec league in Jackson uh, was part of one of the first select leagues that was yeah. a year round yeah. select league in baseball. And that yeah. was at 12. That was the first time there was anything like that offered. When yeah. I was 12 years old, this would have been 90, 1997. Mm -hmm. um, and it just wasn't something that you thought about. Uh, yeah. you, did, you, know, you played all-stars after the regular season rec ball. Yes. Um, yeah. And now, you know, especially guys that I was coaching with at the high school level, uh, their boys were already playing select sports at six years old, you know, or girls Man. were playing select soccer at seven or eight, yeah. and, uh, volleyball at, you know, seven or eight and traveling. And so it's, it includes it takes so much time um yeah away from kids and, and i know so many of them at that age i would have loved it i mean sure, i would have loved sure. to be to be yeah. playing that much uh, i don't know that parents are always aware though specifically christian parents yeah uh, of really thinking long term and thinking what is the goal uh because yes. you've been you've been in a division one locker room several division one locker rooms um I don't know that that's where I want my kid to, to continue walking with Christ. Oh, you know? I, it is um, one of the hardest places. Yeah. And which, which, you know, we'll, we'll talk about in just a second as you experience it as a coach too. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's one of those things where I think sometimes parents, you know, you look at all the time that is put in and you, and you want to ask people, um, what is your end goal? Yeah. Um, yes. You know, my sister had my, my, my wife rather, her sisters both played division one soccer. Um, yeah. And so that was constantly traveling all the time. Yep. And, you know, both of them enjoyed that in the end. I think if they look back, I'm not positive that they would say that that amount of time was worth it. Yeah. Um, at how many times they had to miss church, how many times they had to miss church events during the week. Um, yeah. And how often they were just doing that for the payoff. You know, maybe if you're going to play on the Olympic team. Um, yeah, that payoff's worth it. But for most kids, even those that go on to play Division One sports, yeah, uh, I'm not positive that that amount of investment is worth it. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm really glad you said that because I, I think the vast majority of people who I have talked to who are believers today who uh, played sports on whether it's from NAIA all the way up to Division One. Almost all of them have said that same thing, like how much of this was really worth it. And uh, and especially the way it's the the big business world today and, um, you know, Sundays are being you know taken away. 
it, it is uh it, it is amazing. I mean, me and my wife uh are even wrestling with that and our, I mean our kids are young, but we know, man, they'll grow up quick and then we gotta start making decisions about what are we um you know, what are we gonna do? So and I mean what what are the things that you think are most uh prominent or uh the biggest issues that Christian parents need to be thinking about as their kids get into this world? I think you need to think about who your coaches are and who you're actually putting them with to spend all that time with and not just getting into some of the some of the worst stuff that goes on, like actual uh, abuse and things like that. I'm not even talking about that. I mean, yeah, yes, yeah even just that. Yeah, but I'm just talking about who you're putting them in front of, what kind of messaging they're hearing mm. from that coach, even what other kids they're around regularly. Um, who are they around regularly? Who are their peers? Because, mm. um, you know, you reach a point where they're going to start listening to their peers more than they're going to listen to their parents if yeah. they're spending most of their, <laughs> most of their time yeah. playing this sport. So I think I think parents have got to be aware of that. I, I'm probably in the, maybe I'm in the minority in this. I think that parents need to be aware and need to uh, try to find ways to not play co-ed sports if possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I say that specifically as someone with girls. Yeah. Uh, we have had a tough time in Tampa finding that. Uh, I mean, we're having to drive 30 minutes for our girls to play basketball to find a girls only league. Really? Um, and wow. I think even, you know, wow. for, for, for my 10 year old, um, I don't want to play with boys because boys yeah. need to be able to be boys. They need to push yeah. and shove and knock each other around. And yep. they need to know that it's not okay to do that to a girl. Yes. Um, and likewise, yes. girls need to know, hey, it's not okay for a boy to push me. And Correct. so yes. you put them in an environment where that is normalized. I think it's just something that's going on in the broader culture. Because when I was growing up, co-ed sports was unheard of. Yo, um, I, it's funny you say of. that because I, I was almost like, wait, what do you mean by co-ed sports? Oh, you mean co-ed sports yeah yeah i, I mean it, it, i don't think we had that and i'm five years younger than you the closest ymca to us plays co-ed basketball until you are 14 years old um Goodness. which is just crazy to me that that's post-puberty beginning yeah um, which is just wild so i think i think that's another thing you know i have uh i've had people look at me funny here when i try to encourage them not to do that <laughs> and, uh, specifically yeah. some of the leagues when i say hey is there not a way that you could have a girls league yeah. Um, look at me like I'm a little bit crazy, but I think it's something that just in the broader culture, we've kind of accepted for some mm. reason. Um, yeah. And it's just not not something that I think is all that healthy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially when you look at even just God's creational intention and, and men and women are made different and they're, yeah. they're even different at young ages. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, th I think you're you're on to something there that I think is really important. And um yeah, I mean, I I think that's exactly, especially with uh, parents of uh, of young girls, and you know, we 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 have one, and you know, and who knows if she's going to want to play sports, but yeah, I mean, the culture we're in right now, when you have the what what what, what was his name, who uh, Leah Thomas, who's a swimmer. I mean, it's amazing, like what is what what's happening more and more, and uh, even even in some states at like the high school level, when they start getting there, and there's just a lot of stuff that can go wrong. Uh, that's beyond just like, you know, getting beat by a guy who's pretending to be a girl, you know. Yeah. So now let let's actually go before we go to. Uh, coaching at uh, Jackson State. Let's actually start at uh, where where you were at Jackson Academy, 
and it was the uh, high school. And did you do any middle school coaching as well? Yeah, so middle and high school. So I'd love to start there just as we're talking. We just talked about youth sports. Okay, so now they're getting a little bit older. What what were you seeing as some of the trends uh, coaching middle school and high school athletes? And then even those who were believers, uh, maybe what, what were some of the hard things that they were – having to learn as athletes, uh, if that if that question makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that to some degree, one of the struggles that kids were experiencing was just the, the pressure to uh, start specializing by the time yeah. they hit seventh or eighth grade to do away with a couple sports and just just pick one and hone in one. So there was yeah. kind of this, uh, you couldn't do it outwardly, but you kind of, you know, coaches at the school would try to nudge people. The football coach would try to nudge people to, hey, let's just do football or, hey, let's yeah. just do basketball or let's just do baseball. Um, but I think on top of that, you know, the other thing that was really um, just just problematic was was the social media culture, um, yeah. just the smartphone culture that I think kids were um I think being just just drugged down into this world, even things yeah. like, you know, at, at a large school constantly, you know, having to deal with boys watching pornography on their phones. Yes. Uh, and other yes. kids being aware yep. of that. And, you know, you end up find out finding out stuff like that's going on in the bus. Yep. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can't you can't sit by every kid and you can't yeah. you can't be aware of what's going on. So I think parents need to. Mm. Uh, preparing their kids for that, that, hey, this is going to happen. If you are in a school yeah. of any size, um, you know, maybe it's some of the small classical schools will where you have eight to 10 students per grade. Yeah, um, There's enough of a handle to make sure that's not going on. But you get to a school that's 40, 50 kids, yeah. whether it is a private school, a public school, a Christian school, um, they are going to be confronted with kids who are looking at stuff they shouldn't look at on their cell phone yes. just are. And they're not, most of the time they are not equipped to say no to that. Yeah. Uh, they're just not at no point has a parent talked to them about that. Um, I think there's just even, I was amazed at how often once I got into the youth ministry side, mm -hmm. how often I would have a middle school parent come ask me about when they should start talking their, to their kids about sex and, um, yeah, oh, saying, it's, it's too late now. It's you too know? late. Yeah. Yeah. You want to, you want to go, go ahead and do it. Not to shame anybody who's, who's waited at that point. Like, yes, yeah. start talking to them now, you know, while they're yeah. still under your roof, do everything you can. Um, but you know, I mean, we have a curriculum that we went through with our oldest when she's six. And then we went through with our youngest this past year. Yeah. Uh, we want to be, we want our word and God's word to be the first yeah. thing they hear about that. Yeah. Uh, rather than their peers at school and what athletics does is it provides a little bit more unsupervised time. Yes. Kids, yeah. Uh, when they're traveling, especially when they reach that yep. age, because in middle school, we started traveling at the high school I was working at. Yeah. Um, middle school would travel to away games. And so there are bus trips and there's time in between games or when another coach is occupied doing something. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kids are just not prepared for unsupervised time like that in a lot of cases. Well, and, and I think it's uh, probably, I guess, Middle school is really the first time when kids get in a locker room. And uh, especially with phones, you know, that we have today, they can get access to anything. And, uh, you know, and coaches are not always in the locker room. Uh, some of that, some of that uh, to make sure that there's uh, there's protection for the kids. But, you know, with with that alone time, yeah. 
you're constantly having people saying, hey, look at this. Um, and it starts at a very, very young age. Um, and who's it? Uh, it was John Parrott. Uh, who, he, he, yeah, because he wrote the book called uh, Not If But When, I think is what it is. Uh, and that that's unfortunately the world we're in. Um, and it does, I think, especially in athletics, uh, it seems to be heightened, um, especially in those travel times. So now as you are, as you're coaching these athletes, uh, how are you trying to make sure as a Christian, you take the opportunities that you can when they come up, uh, versus also realizing like, yeah, you got to do your job and you got to coach. Um, cause I think a lot of, a lot of times people can think, uh, you know, that, that how, how can you actually do both at the same time? Yeah. So uh, it works differently from the high school level and the, in the college level at the college level. Uh, I really had to build relationships with kids to, to have an opportunity to yeah. speak into their lives. It, it was also odd, you know, that my first year coaching, I had guys on the team that were older than me, you know, because yeah. I was I was 22 and we had a couple fifth year seniors that were yeah. 23. And uh, so I had guys that were a little bit older than me. So I say kids, um, yeah. you know, these were guys that are are a year younger than me, two years younger than me. Yeah. Very close age. But I, I had to build relationship with them to to then have an opportunity to share the gospel. Yeah, um, I, would, I would have a Bible study on the road, which. Yeah. Probably at its height, uh, maybe six guys would come to. Yeah. And that was, I think, when they thought somehow that was going to increase their playing time or something like yeah. that. And and after they found out that that was not the case, typically yeah. there would be maybe two guys there. Yeah. Uh, a couple of times it was just one guy, um, yeah. one on one. Uh, but to some degree, uh, being at a at a school in the South, even though our players came from all over the country, yeah, uh, we were still at a place where Christianity was something that was talked about. A, a lot by a lot of different people mm-hmm. and then a lot of different people in the athletic department at the very least would go to church once a month. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some kind of relationship to a church. So these guys had some loose awareness of that. And we would often, when we were on the road, we would go to alumni churches. Um, yeah. Yeah. Churches we went to, some of the churches we went to were great. Some of them were kind of in between. Yeah. Uh, some of them were really bad. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> some of the really bad ones often gave opportunity to have better conversations. That's um, true. Because, That's actually true. You know, yeah. They would do an altar call and they would ask me why I was not, you know, they would ask me why I wasn't going down to the front, you know, yeah. because when they do an altar call, almost our entire team would go down to the front. Yeah. Yep. Uh, regardless of where we were or what they believed or anything like that. And so that gave good opportunities to to yeah. talk through. Um, but also just just trying to communicate just a different by, difference by the way that I lived. Mm-hmm. Um, since yeah. the first two years I was coaching, my wife and I were dating um, and then engaged. And then my last two years at Jackson State, we were married. Uh, my guys could not comprehend that I would just be involved with one woman. They they yeah. could not comprehend that. Yeah. Um, and in a lot of cases, they were getting information from other coaches mm-hmm. that that was not smart. That yep. uh, I remember one coach telling them, "Listen, guys, when the season starts, you can only have three. Only have three women that you're really? involved. With. Yeah, and yeah. No more than three. More than three becomes a problem. But yeah." You can have Three women that you're involved with, um, yeah. and so getting these messages from people that they look up to, 
Uh, and so mm. to some degree, just living a life that was marked by the gospel that was different yeah. than what they were hearing from someone else was important. Um, but I think also just to the way that I the way that I tried to treat people, I was yep. uh, so one I, I'm I was never a a crazy yeller scream, get up in people's faces too often. One of the reasons is because I, I saved that for when I really needed it. Yeah. So actually yeah. tell, hey, something was going on. Uh, but I was I was often really loud because I've never liked having a whistle. So yeah. I never used a whistle in, <laughs> yeah. in nine years of coaching. I just didn't like a whistle um, yeah. for whatever reason. And, and so that meant to stop anything or didn't get anything going. I had to yell. So I would be loud. But I wanted to make sure that I was I was never viewed as losing control in the way yeah. that you see different coaches um, completely lose control at different points um, yeah. in another university. And a guy would just lose it. Um, mm -hmm. and you 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 realize that kids are watching that. And so that yeah, begins to yeah. normalize for them. And so I think over time, uh, it took time with people. And I've still got players um, who are who are friends of mine now that over time, I think, began to see a little bit differently. Hey, why you were living your life differently? Why is that? Yeah. So you're so you're even you're even seeing this like stuff that doesn't happen in the moment, but is almost like it, it it's like a delayed uh timer you know it just goes off a lot later oh absolutely absolutely you never you I mean you never know and i've got a, a guy that played for me for three years and then worked for me for a year who's one of my best friends now and um still not a believer yeah. but uh we read a lot of stuff together he's yeah. he's very open and honest about it and i let him know hey i'm you know i'm praying that you come to faith yeah, and yeah. He he knows that, and he'll call me sometimes with questions about things. But uh, that's yeah. something that you know that relationship now has been going on for gosh, wow sixteen years. Wow, um, yeah. You know, and so I'm hopeful that the Lord will use that in His providence. Yeah, at some point, bring him to faith. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think that's super encouraging because oftentimes we can think something has to happen now. Uh, we we need to see immediate feedback now. And uh, and there are many times where, for whatever reason, uh, it, it you know doesn't happen then, and the Lord just you know yeah you get I mean I've I've already had a couple of those for different things where someone will text or call or want to meet about something that happened months or even years before, and you're like I didn't even remember saying that. Like there have been a couple of times where someone someone said yeah you said this one time, and I was like. I was like, I am pretty sure I did not say that because I don't think I'm that smart. Uh, and I remember being like, being like, you might have just read that from like John Piper or someone. Uh, but yeah. or I probably just quoted him. And uh, but it's funny how that happens though. So yeah, um, we we had a reunion for we had a team that won the uh, won the SWAC my yeah. second year there, and we had a reunion uh, the last year we were in Jackson, so two years ago, and it was it was amazing. We probably we had. 14 of 16 guys come back from that yeah. they live all over the country now, which is really cool. And it was fun just to have conversations with them over time. Some of them, uh, most of them, I would say probably not walking with the Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah. But recognizing different things that happened over their time at Jackson state that have yeah. somehow impacted them. And you just never know how the Lord may use that in the future. That's so true. Yeah. Well, okay. So what was it like at the high school level where, uh, the, these, these, uh, these guys are younger 
and uh, and may and maybe you know I, I guess it depends on what type of a school you're at, but. What was it like trying to uh, take opportunities to talk about the gospel with these high schoolers and middle schoolers, you know, versus also still trying to be a coach? Well, so that I think you you nailed it in your in the way you asked the question is that really depends on the school that you're at. The the school that I was at, uh, I call them I call it a pseudo Christian school, meaning yeah, that it, it's, yeah. it's not a Christian school. It's explicitly independent. Yeah. And not connected to a church. Uh, they do not market themselves as a Christian school, but they do once a month, they'll have something like a chapel service. And yeah, yeah. most of the teachers there would at least self-identify as Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in some cases, that's great because you can share the gospel openly. No yeah, one is yeah. going to uh, to give you any problems when you do that. At the same time, though, it can be really confusing for kids because a lot of times there's a conflating of politics and Christianity or just uh, kind of worldly moralism um, Christianity at times. So I I felt like there, my goal was more, how can I engage with these kids in a way that is not white noise? Um, I feel like a lot of what they hear is just white noise, essentially. uh, And I know this, you know, I didn't grow up in the church, but I would go to some of these youth groups that they went to when I was growing up. And a lot of what they're hearing is don't drink, don't have sex, don't do drugs and you're good. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and so that's what that's what a lot of kids come out thinking the gospel is. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I thought that was the gospel when I got to college. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and thought that, hey, if you do those things, then you're OK. And so I, I think I had to try to figure out what ways can I not be white noise? And mm. so some of the ways that we did that is is tried to never use any of the kind of coaching um, aphorisms, some of the kind of Christian phrases that people yeah, use over yeah. and over again. Um, you know, there there are things that even sometimes would lead to good questions. You know, I had some someone led at the chapel one time, and the message was "Let go and let God." Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I had some good conversations with some students saying, "Well, actually, no, that's, yeah. that's actually not good." Oh, ah, that's awesome. Good. Yeah, that's, that's not really what the Bible teaches. Yeah. Um, but again, also, I, I think just trying to um, trying to live a life that is marked by humility, mm. that is by caring for them, um, because, you know, you would see there are a lot of wonderful coaches at the school that I worked at who loved yeah. kids and, and quite a few men who are Christians yeah. um, that loved kids really, really well. At the same time, I'd say there, there are men who might claim Christianity that I, I didn't really see any fruit of that in their lives. Yeah. And, Given that they're still claiming that kids are going to equate their behavior with Christianity, yep. and so yep. that's why a lot of kids come out of environments like that really messed up in, with their understanding of what the gospel is. So um, I think that that's a yes that that really anticipates where uh, the next question because I think this is a really big point. We there there are things around such as you know there there are FCAs and. Uh, there's athletes in action, or people have their own, um, you know, chaplains or uh, Bible study stuff like that. Um, I, I'd I'd be interested to hear what you what you uh, have experienced. But in my experience, man, it is. I've had I've had two phenomenal team chaplains. Uh, one guy, Corey Olivier, who was down at Tulane with us, phenomenal team chaplain. Uh, still talk to him today. 
Another guy, Jack Easterby, who was at the New England Patriots, phenomenal guy. Uh, other than that, oh, the amount of prosperity gospel, moralism, uh, and, and even stuff that like I, I hear, um, it, it's just amazing oftentimes what people hear rather than the gospel. What was that like? What, what was your experience with that? Uh, and how how often do you think athletes hear the actual gospel? I, I mean, I think that's going to depend on one, if they're involved in FCA, who the FCA director is. And a lot of times that directly correlates to who the head, head coach is, because a lot of times a head coach will have a lot of influence on whether or not an FCA guy stays or leaves when there's a coaching change. Yeah, uh, because I know instances where particularly at SEC football programs where a head coach has come in and somehow he has the pull to clean FCA house yeah, and yeah. bring his FCA guys with him. Uh, now, in some cases, maybe that's good because maybe the coach yeah. is a believer and wants, you know, his guys in there who he knows is going to preach the gospel. In yeah. some cases, he wants his FCA guys in there because they're going to control the players and yeah. they're not going <laughs> to, they're not going to get too radical with the gospel that they preach. Yes. Right? They're not going to, because the worst thing you would want for an SEC athlete is to be humble Right. You, you don't want that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, that's working at cross purposes. I mean, yeah. you want you want pride and yeah. you want someone to think they're the best in everything that they do. So yep. a chaplain who's actually going to preach the gospel, maybe working at cross purposes with what the head coach is trying mm. to communicate yeah. to players. Uh, and so I would say there, there's a guy, Lester Walls, who was at Jackson State when I was there. Great yeah. guy. Yeah. Really, um, really loves the Lord and is a great evangelist. Yeah, um, it was just spread too thin. I mean, he he didn't have enough yeah. to reach all of the different programs. And Jackson State was a place that didn't have the resources. You know, I, I don't know at Tulane. I know at Oklahoma State, they probably got a chaplain that just travels with the football team. Um, yeah, or, yeah, or, or at least uh, they, they bring in area guys. And then um, and I don't know what happens whenever they travel, but uh, they might. But yeah, at Tulane, man, we had one guy. Now yeah. he was great, but you're right. I mean, he was so spread thin, and I mean, even in my last two years at Tulane, he was like asking me to do some stuff because there was just no way. Because uh, he was also, I mean, he was he was college uh, ministry pastor, and uh, there were hardly any. That might have been we may have only had three Protestant college ministries at Tulane when I was there. So I mean, you talk about like yeah, spread thin. You're right. Yeah, but I, that's that's where I would encourage people rather than just than than just encouraging guys with great. You're going to FCA. That's wonderful. Yes. You know, if, if, you, if you get involved with an athlete, see if you can go to an FCA one night. Yeah. You know? And if they're and if they're doing it, encourage them in it and, you know, ask them when their next large group meeting is. See if you can go and hear the teaching. Yeah, um, yeah. And see if you can get a sense of, hey, is this something that is good for them? Or yeah. is this something that I actually probably need to keep them away from uh, yeah. or else it's really going to confuse them? Because I do think it's also, you know, athletes, especially the higher level. And so for your people in Stillwater, you know, that's high level athletics. Uh, and with NIL now, you know, a yeah. lot of those guys, oh, are getting, they're getting paid more than the coaches. And so yep. they're wealthy. And with wealth comes power and influence mm -hmm. and also comes um, with less people willing to speak hard truth to you. Um, yes. So I think that's yeah. probably what you're going to see at a place like Oklahoma State, at a place like yeah. Ole Miss, where I went. 
Yeah. Um, it's really, you know, those, those guys on campus are the Kings of the campus. Yeah. Uh, the, women, yeah. The, the women athletes who do really, really well, you know, they, they have a lot of freedom to do whatever they want to and, and to not be challenged. Yeah. Uh, and so typically I think there, there's going to be an initial negative response to someone who ever says anything you're doing yeah. is wrong, but it's what they need to hear. Exactly. Um, and so I think if you got FCA guys that are not willing to do that, but that are yep. just going to preach the prosperity gospel or just yep. going to be their friends, yep. um, then you probably need to be aware of that and try to encourage them to move on to something else where they're actually going to hear the gospel. Yeah. Well, and, and one thing that I thought has been really interesting is, you know, athletes are and, and coaches as well. Well, you're often in the film room. You're you're constantly ex- examining yourself and evaluating over and over and over the gospel. Man, how different is that? mindset of just uh you know you know in the film room it is just it's only law i mean it's like did you did you make the play or not did you follow the fundamentals or not um and then oftentimes if it's if it's not prosperity gospel then it turns into hey here are the life lessons uh that you really need to make sure like you keep your act together but there is no grace in that um, I mean, what have been the what have been even the themes of messages you've heard over the years uh, when it's not been the gospel? I think just be the best you can be, work as hard as you can, yeah, do, get what you can get, that kind of standard stuff. You know, good things happen to good people. Um, you know, if you're doing what's right, everything's going to work out for you in the end, right? Mm. Um, not, you know, I just preached through Romans eight twenty eight last week, so you know, yeah. all things together for good for those who are called right it's not just, <laughs> yeah, exactly it's not for those who do good things right yes. it's not for everybody indiscriminately it's for those who are actually called things work for good so i think a lot of that kind of good things That's happen so good. to people you know a lot of the kind of stay prayed up you know which yeah. i don't even know what that yeah. means you yeah. know i had uh, yeah yeah i, I was which... sitting with a, a, a player of mine one time from jackson state and uh, we were eating lunch and uh, before the meal, he got ready to pray. And this is a guy who had said openly he was not a Christian and he g- put his head down like he was ready to pray. And I said, hold up, who who are you praying to? Yeah, exactly. He said, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you told me you're not a Christian. Who who are you praying to? Yeah, and it was the first time he had ever thought about that. He had just gotten used to the ritual of before so a meal, closing his eyes and mm-hmm. doing some kind of thankfulness to the universe, I guess. That, um, yeah. Well, how and it, how often do you, we we've often seen it where the Lord's prayer is just kind of willy nilly thrown in there. And yeah. Um, yeah. Now, okay. Uh, I you know I'm I'm anticipating something where okay we get it. There's a problem. Uh, what can gospel churches do to love athletes and support athletes? Uh, without treating them as different. And I think in some ways it can be we either treat them as celebrities or you you like the overreaction to that is to say, uh, well, I'm going to make sure they really know that they're normal. Uh, you know, how do we make sure that we actually love and support athletes with the gospel when we have the opportunity? I think practicing gospel hospitality is, is yeah. really, really important. Um, because I, you would think most of these guys and men and women that are at a high level uh, of athletics, so someone at Oklahoma State, 
you would think, wow, they've probably, everybody loves them because they're so good at what they do. So they've probably experienced a lot of hospitality. But in reality, what's probably happened is they've had kind of people invite them into their lives yep. to, you know, point and stare and take pictures that they can put on yes. Instagram to show that they were in a picture with this man or woman mm-hmm. who's a really good athlete rather than inviting them into your home, mm-hmm. cooking a meal for them, asking them good questions about their life, about yeah. their lives, you know, trying to, uh, trying to get to know them uh, yeah. and, and also not wanting anything in return. Right. So not, yes. not yes. having them, not having them over to your house and then trying to get into the locker room after the game, yeah. you know, Hey, <laughs> Come, come over to dinner and you have a great dinner with him. And then at the end you throw in, well, you know, my son, he's such a big fan of yours. Yeah. You know, after yeah. the game, you know, after the game on, uh, on Saturday, could we come into the locker room? Is there any way you can get us in there? Um, but, but not yeah. asking for things in the turn because most of these guys, you know, I, I don't know what the seven on seven world was like for you in high school, but it is yeah. on steroids comparatively now. Oh, no, it's way um, different now. Yeah. It's crazy. And the same thing in basketball, these yeah. these men and women have had people trying to get things from them yeah. since the time they were 10 or 11 years old. Yeah. Uh, and not looking out for their best interests, yep. wanting to negotiate a deal so that they can profit off of them. Especially and, with so, NIL now. Yeah, absolutely. And so yeah. and so with that going on for a church and for individuals at the church to actually reach out to someone to just say, yep. Hey, why don't you come over and eat? We'd love yep. to, to make a home cooked meal for you. And and I think that, that especially if it's an athlete that's never experienced that he or she would be blown away that at the end of that, you don't ask for something yep. um, and would be blown away that you don't just ask them about each game, but you actually ask yes. them about mom, dad, aunts and uncles, brothers mm-hmm. and sisters. What are you interested in? What are the things that you want to do with your life? What's been yeah. hard for you since you've been here? Um, rather than just tell me about that touchdown catch last week. You know, I yeah. bet that would be yep. amazing. Yep. Um, I think athletes would be really, really surprised by that and would see a difference, a yeah. difference to that. And that's really what gospel, gospel-centered hospitality should be different. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. is something that people immediately recognize, whether they know it's because of Jesus or not that, hey, whatever just happened is not what I usually experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you hope then that the spirit uses that to to spark a curiosity yeah. um, and bring them back for more and provide more opportunity where you may be able to more explicitly share the gospel. I, I think that is so, so good. And even, even practically, it can be something like, uh, you know, when when a guy gets hurt, uh, or a girl gets hurt, which happens a lot in sports. Uh, some, sometimes it, it might be uh, hard to get them to come over to your house. Sometimes they do, uh, and 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 that can happen. That's great when you have the opportunity, but also sometimes it's taking hospitality to them. And one thing, even very practically, that I think can be good is when you know, especially if they're on crutches. You know, it's hard enough to get to the cafeteria. Uh, you know, all college kids love a home cooked meal, but man, that's, that's almost low hanging fruit where you can just pull them aside and say, Hey, look, I know things are hard right now. And for many different reasons, look, I got this great white chicken chili recipe. Can I just make some and just bring it to you and you and your roommates can have it like nothing, you know, some, something like that. I think you nailed because, uh, really 
I think a lot of people don't realize with the spotlight, athletes are way more lonely than they lead on to be. Yeah. And without being demeaned, so many athletes, they want to just be normal. Yeah. And I, I remember in my time at Tulane, we were sitting out. Uh, I, I had one of those weird, it was like four rooms joined to one. And so it was two people rooms. So there's eight of us. We're sitting out there on the, the dorm porch looking over uh, the field. And like all these college kids are just like hanging out. And in the back of our minds, we're like, man, we know we got workouts in the morning or we got to get a film this afternoon. And uh, it's just so hard to jump in and get to know people like that. And I, I think that hospitality, I think you nailed it. And uh, those are still some of the times when when that was shown to me when I was uh, an athlete, just being like, man, this person just wants to hang out. Uh, that's that's awesome. Um, now, what about it, it? It can be similar, but it can also be different. What about for coaches? What are ways in which uh, uh, church members can love coaches? Because that at times can be a little bit different dynamic. Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, per- particularly for your situation there at Oklahoma State, you've probably got coaches moving in and out every year. Yeah, uh, yeah, because either someone's been hired or fired or someone yeah. lost a job somewhere else. It's a very transient business. Um, yeah. you, you might not think about that because someone like Mike Gundy's been there for so long yeah. and you're like, True. whoa, yeah, he's he's an institution here. But a lot of the other guys haven't. Um, yeah. And a lot of the other women in the coaching women's teams have, have not been. They're in and out. They're in yeah. new places. I can tell you as someone who's just been somewhere for 18 months that moved here not knowing anyone, you know, it's been hard on my family. It's been hard on my kids. They yeah. had a lot of friends that they left behind in Mississippi. Mm. And being here, not knowing anyone, and especially given that we homeschool, uh, yeah. that was hard for them. And so when we could find people who had kids that we could connect with, that yeah. we could spend time with, whatever it was, that that was huge for us. And so I think for coaches, um, that's, that's a big opportunity to reach out and care for someone who's in a new place, who's in a new situation. And honestly, too, as much as we talk about it being tough for athletes at that high level, uh, it's tough to be a coach in that world, too. Yeah, yeah. You're you're constantly evaluated based on your success on the field or on the court. Mm. Uh, You are constantly having to prove your worth. Yes. Constantly having to show people why you deserve that big salary. Uh, And in a lot of cases, you get fired at at times when you shouldn't. or, Or you get fired at times because you know, the head coach wants someone who's connected to this recruit and is going to be able to bring him in yep. uh, to come in. So you may have done nothing wrong. And so to actually experience someone just caring for them as a person and again, not wanting something from them, uh, but also realizing that, you know, as much as we can say, hey, the, the Division One locker room is a tough place for a Christian to be as, as a student athlete was really, really tough for a coach too. I mean, these, yes. the coaches, especially at high level division one schools, um, not necessarily your best people in the world. Yeah, uh, yeah I correct. I don't say yeah. that to try to, to try to, uh, paint a, such a broad brush and call people, uh, names. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that yeah, just yeah, saying yeah. that, you know, I don't think most Christians have a problem saying something like that about somewhere like Hollywood, you know, mm. people be concerned if your kids are moving out to Hollywood to try to, live as an actor or actress and yeah. make it out there, you'd, you'd warn them and you'd say, hey, well, this is what you have to be careful of. This is what yeah. you have to be aware may happen. 
Uh, well, even for a coach at the division one level, yep. it's a very similar world. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I can't tell you how many times talking to a guy on the road, um, recruiting, you find out how many guys are just cheating on their wives. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's just normalized. You yeah. Know, you're traveling for 100, 110 nights out of the year. And so men, women, they just do that. Um, yeah. That's just normal. It's not a secret. Uh, yeah. It's not all that hidden. And so you come into a lot of these families that are just beaten down by sin and broken by sin. Yeah. Um, and in the same way that those athletes have kind of these um, platitudes thrown at them, you know, yeah. let go and let God, good things happen to good people. The coaches have the same thing because you hear them in, in their interviews after the games thanking God. Uh, and sometimes that's genuine. Um, yeah. There are yeah. there are men and women who coach at the highest level who love Jesus and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. Uh, but but I think there are quite a few that are just throwing that out there or throwing that mm -hmm. out there because they know their fan base likes that at uh, mm. a school where, you know, the, the fan base is is fairly religious. So I think, you know, finding ways to uh, to get engaged, which requires for, for a church like yours and, and members of your church, Wilson, I would imagine, you know, if you have any relationships in the athletic department. Yeah, uh, it is a huge way to say, hey. You know, let us know when a new coach comes in. We're not trying to recruit them. Yeah, that's a we great idea. Them. Yeah, you know, we, we want to love them. If a new coach is moving, we would love to set up a meal plan for them the first two weeks they're going to be here. That's a great idea. You know? yeah. Or we would love to go help them move in. Now, I know the university, if they're a high level yeah, coach, sure. is going to be paying for someone to, to move them in. But, you know, to have someone, uh, especially for if it's a husband coaching and a mm -hmm. wife being to a new city, yeah, I would love a couple ladies to come help them decorate. Yeah, um, yeah, come set things up and bring them a couple dinners. Yes, uh, they're trying to get their kids in a new school and yeah, just life yeah. is crazy. So I think there are a lot of practical ways if you can build some relationships within the athletic department for people to let you know, hey, new coaches are here. If you yeah. build relationships with coaches to let you know, hey, this guy or girl's having a tough time. This athlete's mm. having a tough time. Yeah. Um, any way that some of your people could reach out to them and 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 care for them. Yeah, that that is really good. Well, and and I think that that makes it very doable uh, because I I think it really does. You know, we're, we're I think too often we think, man, if I don't have everything together, how can I help? Where it's like, no, just take the opportunity you can get. And uh, I, I love that, especially with the taking meals to people. Um, now. Switching back to the athletes and coaches, you know, I don't want to assume anything obvious, but let's just ask the very basic question. Why do athletes and coaches need the local church? Why do they also need the Lord's Day? Well, and one reason, because most of them have probably never grown up with the Lord's Day. If they yeah. if they are at the level that it requires to be a Division One athlete um, in this world now, they're playing something most Sundays or they're yeah, traveling yeah. most Sundays. And so they've probably never experienced that. They've probably never experienced that rhythm of rest. I mean, at Jackson State, uh, our conference schedule was we played Saturday, Monday. So yeah. every other week we had travel partners. You'd go on the road for two games or you'd be at home for two games. You know, when we were on the road, we were gone Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, got back early in the morning on Tuesday. Yep. Um, and so we were we were out of rhythm, not there. Um, you know, I can remember telling my growth group when I was coaching, you know, Hey, it's, it's beginning of January conference season started. 
I don't know that the weeks will line up where I'll be here and I won't be on the road for games or recruiting. Yeah. Uh, next time I'll see you, you know, I'm yeah. not sure I'll be here. Um, so they need that weekly rhythm, but, but more than anything, just like we all need the local church. I mean, they need a place that is going to regularly put the word of God before them. That's going to yes. pray. The word, that's going to read the word. That's going to preach the word. That's going to sing yeah. the word. That's going to observe the Lord's supper and observe baptism. Um, they need the means of grace on a regular basis. They need to be brought to see their sin. Um, yeah. Yeah. Particularly in your context there in Stillwater, a lot of these athletes have probably never been told they're sinners. Yes. They have yeah. constantly had, if they're the best at what they do, they have constantly had a coach trying to recruit them to their seven on seven team yep. or recruit them to their select team or recruit them to their AAU team. And you know what? No one wants to go to your team if you're telling them they're bad at something. They don't <laughs> want to go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and so they've probably never been told that they're sinners. But like mm. you said earlier, they've probably also never been shown God's grace in Christ. Yeah. And shown that there is grace when you fail. There is grace mm. when you mess up. And the answer is not just do better. Um, yes. Or work harder, do all that. You know, their life has been set up for that. So they mm. need ordinary means of grace on a weekly basis even and i know they're they're you know providential situations where you know i know a lot of times uh women's college basketball plays on sundays right yeah yeah and so you may have women there who are playing on sundays and you know their coach is not going to accept it if they just say oh well i can't i can't be there you know yeah. i gotta i gotta go to church this weekend so you may have students that that can't be involved in that way um but they all have off seasons and they yep. do have weeks where they're at home. And yeah. so they need that. They need the means of grace, just like we all need the means of grace. Yeah. That I think that is so good. And I think once again, it, it brings it back to what is so central is at the end of the day, yes, they are just like us. They need the means of grace and they need to hear the gospel just like we need to hear it. And that involves sin and it involves the sufficiency of Christ. And uh and yeah, I mean, and you you had mentioned this earlier. Yeah, sometimes that means you only got one shot to 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 let them know, and uh, um, sometimes you might get the opportunity to go talk with some athletes, and you got one shot, and they might not ask you back because you're not gonna uh, give them you know the popular message. But maybe that's the one time that the Lord uses to call someone to be born again, and then roots them in the church. Absolutely. Uh, so, man, well. Right. Any any other just lingering thoughts on just how Christians can love athletes or coaches uh, well, and uh, especially in this new era of just NIL and uh, all the traveling and all that? Yeah, I think that that new era of NIL means that you're going to have more people coming in for one year at a time. You're going to have more yeah. people you're on their second or third school. Uh, which I think is going to create further loneliness. Mm. Uh, it's, it's masked by the rise of social media. You know, I mean, yep. Twitter was really just becoming a thing when I was at Jackson State. Yeah, yeah. And my, my players, uh, a lot of times, this was in the early days of Twitter, were saying things that inappropriately on Twitter, and they were shocked that I knew how to follow them on Twitter, <laughs> and I could find. Yeah. So I created, I don't have social media, but yeah. I created an account to follow them and would see when they posted stuff that was inappropriate. 
they were shocked that I knew that. So there was just not this, there was not no, this. Yeah, I remember that too, man. Uh, I remember what I was going on one time. Yeah. 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 There, there was not this understanding, but they're, they're, they think that they're connected to people. Um, they think yeah. that they're connected through that. Um, they think that they're connected through to people through playing online games, you know, online gaming. Um, yeah. They think that that is a so social, good. they yeah. think that that's social interaction. It's not. Um, it it Mm. is just not. And so they think they're connected to people because they have, you know, 50,000 followers on Instagram or Mm. 50,000 followers on Twitter, uh, but they're lonely. And so as they're coming in for a year at a time, again, you may have one opportunity, um, but may have a real opportunity to care for someone who's lonely and who comes in as a fifth year senior and knows no one. Yes. Yes. Very different world than those freshmen and sophomores or the juniors and seniors that have been there for three and four years. Yeah. So the church may have a real opportunity to reach out and connect to somebody who, you know, for the first time in their life is actually experiencing that they actually need something. Yeah. Um, So I think there's real opportunity there. No, I I, I think you nailed it. And I think that's a great way to close out the episode, because I think I think what you've given us is a lot of actually Things are very tangible things we can actually do, um, and especially how small Stillwater is. It's you know our our coaches and even sometimes the athletes if they move off campus. Uh, yeah, they're our neighbors. Uh, we we run across. You know, I forget where I was walking the other day, and I turned around and saw uh, two of the receivers and uh, and just being able to glance back and be like, hey, you know, it's you know they're around us all the time, and I I think it's just like any other form of evangelism at some point we got to just step out on the limb and just say, Hey, look, I'd love to get to know you. Uh, so, um, no, I, I think, right. This is so good. And, um, now I, I always want to ask people this, if, uh, if our people, I, I love trying to connect our people with other, uh, PCA, uh, uh, ministers throughout the country. Uh, if there was any way where people wanted to listen to some more preaching, how do y'all have y'all sermons online? I mean, where, where could people yeah. listen to yeah. you more? How would they do that? Yeah. So we're, we have an Apple podcast, uh, called just university Presbyterian church. You'll see university Presbyterian church of Tampa, um, Click on that. We've also, our website is upctampa.com. We have our sermons on our website. Uh, so we put that up there. We don't record services, so we don't have anything video wise. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, those sermons are available in Apple Podcasts or available on our website. Awesome. Yeah. I would, uh, I'd love for y'all to listen to Wright when you get a chance. And uh, may, maybe, maybe one time we'll get Wright and Aldo uh, on, on an episode. And uh, maybe we'll just spend it just, trash and all that's more fun uh he would actually just he would give it right back to us so uh well right thank you so much for joining us on the gospel gazing podcast and uh, i think this is really helpful and we'll certainly uh further more conversation thanks wilson